Welcome to another edition of A Random Walk with Ben Coleman. I'm honored to be here with my friend, Charlie Olson. Uh, he was a classmate of mine at the Graduate School of Business at Stanford. And uh, he's been doing something fascinating over the past three years. He and I talked about this you know, back in 2016 and 17. It was just an inkling in his mind. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to see it taking off in the past couple of years. So, Charlie, thanks for being here. Yeah, absolutely, Ben. It's it's good to see you again. And per usual, you continue to innovate. So first, <laughs> first one of our classmates, I th- think that I know of that started a, uh, a podcast. So good on you. Yeah, well, COVID inspires uh, creativity, I guess. That's, that's kind of my lesson here. Uh, well, sure. the first question I want to ask you is, can you talk to us about what income pooling actually is? Sure, sure. Yeah. So, you know, first off, we were talking previous to then and, you know, you brought up kind of income sharing and that's something that we're often confused with. Maybe I'll start there and draw that distinction first. Um, income sharing is in, in many ways a, um, a product that has been around for some time. And the basic idea of an income sharing agreement is a group of people, actually, no, typically it's just one person will reach out to a lender, an investor, and they will sell some portion of their future earnings um, for cash today or a service today, like a trading school, a free, you know, a free ride to a, a trading school or something like that. Um, and it's really much more of a private equity transaction. Pando and income pooling more generally is something new and innovative. And uh, what we do is we help groups of people come together, choose their group, and that group will agree on a common set of rules whereby each member in that group contractually agrees to contribute a small portion of his or her future earnings to the shared group. Right. And, and so at its at its most fundamental, that's what income pooling is. Now, what does it do for you? I think uh, you know, we are and we'll get we'll dive into this, but we're increasingly moving in the direction of a high volatility, high uncertainty, winner take all economy. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things that that income pooling can deliver for a group of people is not only kind of the diversification benefits of portfolio theory, and rather than owning just a thousand percent of yourself, um, you have you have a diversified portfolio, hopefully of of high potential and high high upside peers. Um, so there's a little bit of a safety net element to to income pooling. Uh, and in addition, it, it does allow you to take it take advantage and and achieve success alongside those peers. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I know that many of our classmates aspire to be investors and in some ways this is, this is a way to do it where you don't, uh, you don't need deep pockets coming out of school. You can, you can, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, angel invest, uh, without requiring cash and all you're trading away as a portion of future earnings. And then last but not least, it is a kind of, you know, camaraderie rich, uh, cooperative group that does have financially aligned incentives, uh, whereby, you know, Ben, if you and I are pooled, I have a feeling that I am going to be extra motivated to see you succeed when I know that your success uh, yields success for me as well. So I have to ask, how do I get in your pool, Charlie? <laughs> My pool is open for business. Ben. <laughs> and and I, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned that you've already reached the bottom of the barrel and you're asking me on your <laughs> podcast. So I'm questioning your judgment to start with. Um, now that you want in my pool, I really know we got a problem. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I want to be part I, of. You don't want to be part of. I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I, um, I actually have created a pool, and so you know we can yeah. talk about that. I talk about you know my my case study, but um, it it has been fun how far this this idea has come over the past few years. And uh, as as you know, we started with professional athletes, and we've now added on um, folks outside of sports, and we're pooling business school grads and entrepreneurs, and and uh, it's been a fun run thus far. 
Yeah, well, that's fantastic. You know, one of the things that that attracted me to this a couple of years ago was um, just to your point, the winner take all economy. And as I got to business school, I looked at the 408 of us and I said, you know what? There's going to be probably four to six billionaires in this class based on a business, but I have no idea how to predict who they are um, because of randomness, chance, you know, the, the entrepreneurial market is all over the place. Um, so I'm curious, what inspired you to, to go down this path and to come up with this concept? Uh, I met the right co-founder. What inspired me was 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 Eric Lax. So uh, you know, all the credit for the ideation of Pando and the analysis of the problem goes to him. Um, and he and I, and by the way, this is a perfect example, really, right? So you know, he and I didn't get close and didn't really know each other too well our first year. And and, and second year, he asked me um, out on a coffee date to <laughs> ask about <laughs> to to ask about. Um, uh, search funds. And and I had spent some time prior to business school working with Professor Dave Dodson and mm-hmm. um, helped helped him institutionalize his his search fund investing kind of process. And so something I knew a fair amount about and Eric was interested and we went out to lunch and I quickly realized that he is the brightest mm-hmm. person I have ever met in my life. Ridiculously creative. Oh, yeah. I, I think I think the biggest, you know, kind of change for me you know, when I came back to school, I, I I did suspect that I wanted to leave school as an operator. I was in private equity beforehand, um, I but I didn't think honestly that I had the creativity to start something of my own. Um, I didn't think I had the zero to one kind of mindset and creativity. Yep. Uh, so, by the way, still not sure I do, um, but <laughs> at least at least have an idea to you know find great talent and good friends. So um, I met Eric. And we got close. One one coffee date became, I think, ten, which became twenty. And <laughs> uh, you know, business school romance. There you go. Oh, it's Koopa. It's, it's something in the water. Go. And 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 he, uh, you know, he, he had a ton of ideas. And but but income pooling stuck with both of us. And mm-hmm. he had been doing research um, at, while at school with uh, with Ed Lazier. Yep. And their research was kind of the foundational element of Pando. Their, their research and his independent study with Ed um, led him to kind of two really interesting macro, you know, um, opinions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first was that we are increasingly graduating people into a winner-take-all economy. The there is a divergence from median and mean outcome, yep. um, which is a really good way to track that. And, and and then secondarily, and this was very interesting as well, um, that our generation is much less connected to the community-based institutions that used to provide mm-hmm. forms of social safety net, mm-hmm. and, and and that matters because that was those were the groups, and I'm talking about things like churches and um, you know a small town, a big family, a single employer. Those were the places that used to catch people if they took a risk. Yep. And that risk didn't pan out. It turns out risk is risky. And and so our generation has this double-edged sword. We we face more career volatility and career risk. And, you know, I would say less community-based support um, to help us kind of live through that risk. And, and you know, and, and, and I was struck by just, you know, the magnitude of these two issues. The fact that you actually don't hear a lot of talk about them. And, and, and uh, you know, lastly, one thing that grabbed me is, you know, Eric made the point to me that, our ability to generate future earnings, right? So our, our own kind of income potential is the greatest asset that the vast majority of us own. Yep. Unless we come from a lot of wealth, right? 
it, it, the, our ability to generate future income is going to be worth more than any house, more than any car, right? More than any other asset that we own. And yet, it's an asset that we really don't have a ton of control over once you choose a career. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, graduating, I had a choice to go back into private equity or to go in entrepreneurship. And I'll tell you what, the, you know, the economic implications are huge, yeah. right? And, and there's no way for me, once I made that career choice of, you know, starting Pando, there's no way for me to get the kind of, you know, comp package that, that exists in private equity. So I was, I was just struck by the kind of exposure for that asset. Uh, for most yep. of us. And, and, you know, the realization that, you know, I think that many more people deserve, you know, a, the dignity of a secure financial future, but more importantly, the ability to control their odds. You know, I, I, I think we live in a, in a world right now where one of the greatest indicators of who is going to become an entrepreneur or go into these quote unquote riskier, um, you know, jobs is a, where they're born and you know to whom they were born and then be the resulting kind of risk tolerance and i don't think those are good variables upon which to choose if you're going to start a business you know i think competence and grit and creativity and passion would all be better variables and so um you know one of the things we hope to do is give people more ammo and more ability to control um to control their odds and in doing so hopefully uh, align career choice with risk tolerance rather than uh, you know something that I see too often, which is people forced to choose a job over, over a career for very, very real, very understandable financial reasons. Well, you are speaking my language because as I was leaving GSB in 2017, I had always aspired to be an entrepreneur, but I, in my personal life, was weighing the risk-reward trade-off with two kids, eventually three, you know, going back to Dallas, we don't come from wealth. I've been very fortunate in the things I've done. Um, but I, I took the job at McKinsey, which is, you know, to some extent, some of the best risk adjusted compensation. But, you know, they're, they're, you're, 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 you're limiting your, your upside potential. And now again, McKinsey consultants make a lot of money, but like you're limiting your true upside potential. And so I had to make a choice. And I said, you know what? The, 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 the 90% chance that I, I don't do well as an entrepreneur bites the 10% chance of next month's return compared to you know, the very stable, you know, great career path here. I just, in my, at this point in my life, I have to go with the, the safer option, which I, which I enjoy and I, I love doing it. But like the, the, what, you're, what you're saying is, is totally true right now. And I, you know, I, it just resonates deeply. I appreciate you, you you saying that. I, w- I was actually going to ask you about that. Um, it's not it's not something I've ever asked you about. Um, yeah. you, you are you are one of the more creative, innovative, and driven people I know. And you know, I I, I promise this is not a knock at McKinsey. Some of the best people right. in the world that I know are at McKinsey. Um, and but you're at McKinsey. Yeah. And, and and so it it was something that I was going to be curious to kind of dig it you know into you for a second and say you know what would have allowed you. To take the leap because i you know while i while i hear the you know risk adjusted returns mm-hmm. like i imagine and and i could have this wrong i imagine you are not solving for dollars like risk adjusted dollars period as the only solving factor in your career i expect that you know we were indoctrinated in this at the gsb that you you, you hope to live and pursue a life of meaning and purpose Part of that, I'm sure, is is making enough to support a family and making enough to do what you want with your family and give back to causes that mean something to you. But a big part of it, I guarantee you, is also creating and and, and, yeah. and going to work every day, excited about what you're doing and, and leaving an impact on people. And so, I, I am curious to hear kind of like what 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 maybe what could have been different, like what 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 calculus 
would have allowed you to take the leap? Well, well done in turning the tables, um, being the interviewer to the interviewee. Um, and no, that's something I think about, honestly, on, on many days and many weeks. Um, and, you know, it, it does come back to having some sort of allocation and um, risk sharing. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, when I was doing an internship, one of my, my, uh, my MBA one internship was with a startup um, in Silicon Valley. And I realized that, you know, I enjoy the operator life, but one of the reasons why venture capital is a far more lucrative place than startup world is because you are an N of one as an individual in an organization. Whereas a venture capitalist can invest completely in an industry. They can invest in 10, 20, 50 companies. They only need one, five, maybe 10 of those companies to succeed and everyone else can fail. But you in your own personal life in a startup world, like you have to either succeed or fail. It's, it's, it's a zero or one type proposition. And the rewards are great if it works out. But again, you balance that out with you know 90% failure rate. And all of a sudden, your income, especially in the Bay Area with family, is this incredibly low. And so you know, for me, it was like, if, I, if I'm going to do something, I can't, I'm not going to be a startup guy. Um, one, I didn't have any great ideas. Um, but two, I, I, I kind of was solving for, for some sense of salary. And I was a little bit older, getting into business school, 10 years in the military. And I had this deep fear of like not being able to support my family, um, which may or may not have been justified. But I think something that like what you guys are doing actually could have provided the means to say, you know what, even if it doesn't work out, um, there's there's something residual coming in. And so I want to turn back to you and talk about, you know, the first group of folks you guys looked into was, was Major League Baseball. And I think when we first started talking about this, it was really insightful because you said, hey, the top 10 draft picks, a number of them are going to get injured in some way. And like they will go from, you know, potential multi-million dollar signings every year to maybe waiting tables or being a janitor or driving an Uber. Like talk to me about that first industry that you guys kind of explored and what you discovered there. For sure. For sure. Well, um, you know, I, I don't want to run away from the venture capital kind of um, uh, analogy there as well, because yeah. I, I think one of the things that I've found in every industry that we've gone into is that there's a significant portion of the industry that doesn't take the risk and uses mm -hmm. many of the fundamental kind of economic underpinnings of pooling in their day to day job yep. to mitigate that risk. Venture capital is a perfect example. Right. As you said, first of all, like, you know, the partners are going to invest across a, you know, portfolio of 10 to 30 pandos because each one is too risky. Right. They wouldn't yep. take, I've right. never seen a portfolio strategy of one, never mm -hmm. seen it. And, and, and further, they share carry. Like they, they want partners who are in the game with skin in the game with them. They think they're going to be better for having this person at their side. And if that person finds the next Facebook, they're rewarded as well. Yeah. So it, and, and now like turn to baseball. So the, the case study in baseball is fascinating. You highlighted the top 10 picks. I'll give you a case study of the first round. So the first round in the MLB draft, right? It happens every year. There typically is 40 rounds this year due to COVID. There's five, which is like, hmm. you know, just incredibly tough. Interesting. If you happen to be drafted in 2020. I, I, mean, I mean, you know, imagine that. Is that because the um, minor leagues are like not in, in play right now? Or what was the decision there? Yeah, there's no minor leagues. And um, this season, and owners didn't want to pay. Um, mm. it's, it's as simple as that. Now, by the way, it's a it's a revenue-based business, right? And right. So they're, the, at the end of the day, sports, on average, like in each league, the players get 50% of league revenue. It, you know, some leagues are slightly higher, some are slightly lower. But like 
if league revenues go down, player revenues will go down, which means, you know, either you're going to, you know, cut costs and cut, you know, cut player salary, or you're going to reduce the size of the pool. So first round 30 picks of those 30 guys, you can kind of do do a back solved analysis. And, you know, we have a great data science team. That's another thing Eric's amazing at. So we have built a great data science team and we can, um, it's kind of cool. We can, we can um, take a look at any player's expected future earnings and their distribution of possible outcomes. So we, hmm. we, we understand both expected outcome and the risk attached to that outcome. And for a first round pick, if you happen to be lucky enough to be drafted in the first rounds, you have expected future earnings of $45 million, right? Wow. Sign sign any one of us up. Yep. The problem, here's the problem. Baseball is a system where, first of all, in the minor leagues, you are paid less than $12,000 a year. Wow. Uh, there's actually, there's actually a, a law passed that makes baseball players exempt from federal minimum wage hmm. requirements. Um, and so you, everyone plays in the minor leagues and a full 50%, right? So 15 of those 30 players will make less than 1 million. So the bifurcated outcome here, and this is the very, very, very best odds you can hope to have as a baseball player is on the one side, you have 50% of guys make less than a million for having, you know, sacrificed and dedicated their life up to that point, mm-hmm. sacrifice career opportunities, jo- uh, you know, educational opportunities, everything, right? A full, you know, half of them will leave holding very little from their time in baseball. And it means the other half averages $90 million. Hmm. Okay. So like, even just think about that for a second. And when we came to baseball players and we said, Hey, look, you know, first of all, there's revenue sharing amongst the teams, your agent, your financial advisor, each have a portfolio. They have a stable of players. They are going to make money on whichever one of you becomes the next Mike Trout. Uh, they don't know who it is either, by the way. How is it that you are the only one taking hundred percent of your risk? Right. So, you know, for those first round picks, it's like if I put five of you in a pool, I'm going to guarantee, not guarantee, but like I'm going to strongly increase the odds and the likelihood that you leave baseball a millionaire and rewarded for how good you are. You have incredible potential. You you can play with that. That can be an asset for you. Um, and so that's one of the that's kind of like, you know, one of the use cases. And, 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 and it is fascinating then to look at kind of the ecosystem more broadly and just realize that the baseball players as the most vulnerable people in the, in the system are the only ones taking hundred percent of the risk. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it is, uh, it, it's, it's very, it's very interesting. And we've had a lot of success there. So it was a fun beachhead market. I'm a huge sports fan. So is Eric. Um, and, and we now, we now pull hundreds of professional baseball players. So tell me about the first time you approached them. What was the player's reaction? What was the agent's reaction? How did they engage with this? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> Our, our dear friend Max Arts and I went down to Scottsdale, second year spring break, um, and we used every Stanford connection we could possibly use to speak to the biggest agents in baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember Max and I being in a meeting, sitting in a, uh, having like donuts and coffee <laughs> with an, a big agent who told us at the end, this is a very good idea, won't work, and you guys should go sell life insurance. <laughs> this would be a hell of a lot easier. Yeah. So 
So, you know, one of the really interesting things is the agents, the big agents were incredibly useful for us. They broke down the problem. They helped us understand the ecosystem. They helped us understand how to talk to players. They pointed to a lot of areas that they said wouldn't work. We knew those were the areas that we had to give attention. Um, Baseball players initially, (laughs) man, the, the responses were all over the place. I had baseball players who thought we were actually selling physical pools, like, (laughs) <laughs> like with water um i i had baseball players who um you know the f- initial reaction and this is actually fairly common said hey you know i've bet on myself every single day of my life that's how i got here this is a bet against myself um at which mm-hmm. point i you know it, it actually i've become fairly adept at turning the tables and saying like well do you think your agent is self-confident I mean, the answer is always yes yeah. um okay, if that's the case, then why do they have a stable of players? Why are you not their only client? Mm-hmm. Right? Well, they, they, they want to put food on the table for their family. They don't know which one of you is going to succeed. They're betting on all of you. Um, why do you think your team takes 40 draft picks each year? Right? There's yep. not that many guys on the diamond. So, um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways to kind of t- talk to that. And, and, you know, I think early on, there was also fear of the unknown. This was a, this is a new product, a new idea had to do a lot of educating still do. Um, and, and yet we've, uh, we've, we've found some ways to talk to talk to the players to make them understand both the reality of their situation and their, then their very real vulnerability um, in a way that's both respectful and also gives them the feeling of, you know, taking, taking a flyer and taking a, a bet on, you know, their good friends, for example, like oftentimes people pull inside their locker room, people mm-hmm. they want to see succeed. And one of the really cool responses that we've kind of heard is that we've made baseball a little less lonely, right? This mm. is a little bit like a fantasy draft. Like previously, baseball is actually one of those places where it's not zero. I mean, it is zero sum, sorry. That if your friend gets called up, if you're in AAA, your friend gets called up, it means you didn't. Mm. But now a little bit of you did. So there's, there's a little bit yep. um, of a, a changing di- dynamic in the, in the, um, in having a team that's kind of rooting for you to succeed and that you're rooting to also have success. So tell us about how it actually works, the mechanics of how the pooling process works and how I can, you know, invest in somebody else's career alongside my own. Okay. Well, you want to stick in baseball uh, to start? Yeah, let's do baseball to start, and then we can you know go to other industries. Yeah, sure. So, so basically, the idea is um, we we actually have defined rules for baseball. So it's a defined contractual arrangement, um, and the the rules are that a baseball player agrees um, if they agree to pool with somebody, right? So mm-hmm. to start with, a player joins our platform. Joining our platform is um, indicating they have interest. It's like going to the used car lot and saying, "Hey, I I want to buy a car. I just don't know what car I want." Um, and then Pando works with that player and uh, his agent or his financial advisor, whoever's in the mix, um, to act as a uh, advisor. So we're gonna we're gonna deliver some data science to help that player understand his value, um, and then we're gonna make a series of recommendations or potential matches to either pools that already exist, mm-hmm. um, where we think that player is a good match, and we'll explain why, or uh, people that are on the sidelines, like looking for a home. And, and, you know, the one interesting thing about pooling is that we have created a, a free marketplace. At the end of the day, Pando has no ability to bind a group of people together. That has mm-hmm. to be their decision. So at the end of the day, we can make uh, recommendations. We act as an advisor. But the decision of who you pool with is yours. And so uh, uh, 
um, you know, we make these suggestions and we will go out to those pools and those other people on the sidelines and say, hey, we've got this new person that at, that just joined and here's why we think they're a good fit for you. Um, and it's a fairly manual process. It's it's fairly kind of, you know, white glove. Mm-hmm. And um, if a group decides to pool, the mechanics of what they're agreeing to do is those baseball players are agreeing to contribute 10% of their future on the field baseball salary and that that money only to this shared group if and only if they make the MLB and make over 1.6 million cumulatively hmm. now that, that that number is uh is in many ways synthetic so the way it works in baseball is a, when a baseball player makes the MLB they'll be paid the MLB minimum basically major league minimum for three seasons. There's, it, it's very rare that that system is not followed. And MLB minimum is 550K. Okay. So in, in essence, we're talking about the player, the first time the player hits his big multi-million dollar contract, if he hits that point, exactly when he can afford this, he's contributing a small portion of it back to the shared group. And and keep in mind that this player, like, like the other players in the pool, is an owner in that, in that arrangement, right? So he would, mm-hmm. even if he's a contributor, he's going to receive back a portion of his contributions. So Pando then acts in many ways as a pass-through entity. Contributions come in if there are any twice per baseball season and distribute. Pando takes its fee and distributions immediately go out. So we're not holding the money. We're not investing it on the player's behalf. This is really about kind of the utility of the dollar and saying, you know what, for the person that just made $10 million dollars, um, you know, he's probably okay. And the person that's made $10,000 this year and is trying to support a family, he could really use that cash today. Um, so, so we, so we act as a, as a pass-through entity in, in that way. And are these perpetual agreements or are they for a set number of, of time or how does that work? Yeah. So in baseball, it's for the length of the baseball players playing career. Um, or up until they hit a threshold. So there is a cap to it. Um, er, early, okay. on, um, early on, early on, an agent mentioned that he had brought this up to one of his former clients who was Derek Jeter. Um, <laughs> and, and DJ apparently said, interesting idea. I made 300 million. Let's put the cap at 200 million so I could earn that last hundred for myself. Yeah. And so we were like, okay, th- that's fine. No, right. no problem. So, so there's a, there is a, you know, if you earn $200 million, which by the way, in baseball actually happens fairly yeah. regularly. Um, if you earn over that amount, you're capped out and you're done. You're relieved of, of your duties. And mm-hmm. on the other hand, like this is the big part of this. If you are hurt, if you run into team politics, if you get drafted behind Derek Jeter and never have an opportunity you know, you are eligible to receive pool distributions, with the people in your pool, um, you know, for the length of their baseball playing career, which, which, it, you know, as I kind of think about, it's like, you know, we, I don't think many of us perceive of, of athletes as being vulnerable, but this is, this is the type of situation where most of these guys are graduating with, without great prospects. Mm-hmm. And many are going back to become low level baseball coaches um, or, or other similar jobs where, you know, $40,000 a year is very common. And if we can help deliver, you know, some form of, you know, kind of dignity um, in a reward for having dedicated a, their life to something that delivers a lot of passion to the rest of our country, that, that feels like a, that feels like an exchange that makes a lot of sense. And how big are the pools? Is it anything or does it, is it you recommend the size? How do you think about that? Yeah, it, so it is anything. So, again, at the end of the day, this is this is their decision about whether to accept to reject, et cetera. We have pools as, size, as small as two. 
as large as 24. Hmm. Average pool size is 5.7. Okay. <laughs> as a as a number for what it's worth, I think that makes sense. Like yep. you 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 have you know more of the diversification benefits than than if it's two. You also have you know still some coordination benefits. Like it, you know once you get to 20, it's really unwieldy to even have a text thread with that group, right? Mm-hmm. So you know one of the things that we do see that's fun is like. These these groups are interacting. They're 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 chirping each other via text. If one has a bad game and, and celebrating when they when they uh, when someone has a big night and hits a couple home runs, so or gets called up. Uh, so that side of things is really fun to see as well. Yeah. So take us back to the beginning, and you know one of the unique parts about this is my understanding is you created this, and the lawyers didn't even know how to how to deal with this. How did you build the first contract? Yeah, well, I didn't. I mean, it, <laughs> I, if I had been the one to write it, we have we have much bigger problems. Um, you know, I, I, this is actually a, a you know I think a really cool element of of Silicon Valley generally. But um, there are many law firms in Silicon Valley that will work on a contingent basis hmm. uh, for early stage companies that they think have promise. Um, and so we found a, a law firm, Morrison Forrester, and, and a lawyer. Um, Tim Harris, who is a uh, is the managing partner of the Silicon Valley office, um, and he's extraordinary. Um, he's done a lot of really big work. I'd say Pando is like literally his smallest work. Mm-hmm. Um, and he uh, and yet he found what we were doing uh, cool and interesting. And I think he deferred our first seventy five thousand dollars in legal fees. Hmm. And we needed a big brain to be able to you know get this off the ground. And you know it was costly. And so. Um, you know, we were able to work with work with Tim. We brought him kind of a lot of you know user feedback and agent feedback and financial advisor feedback. You know, and he was studying. Um, you know, he's studying the landscape, right? He's trying to understand. Okay, um, you know, there's a bunch of things that this looks like that it's not. This is not insurance, and nor is it a security. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, like the language that we use in discussing income pooling is filled with the language you would use to discuss both of those products. And it does have elements of both. It's just not structured that way, right? So you know, he got comfortable that he had a he had a path. Um, and, and you know, the interesting thing is, like, you're right. This is this is a novel legal contract, and um, that's that's not to say that you know we aren't doing everything we can to ensure that every you know loose end is tied off and that we can be as prepared as possible. We also live in the most litigious country in the <laughs> world. Like I'm sure at some point I'll have a, a recalcitrant, you know, baseball player who makes $200 million and is not thrilled that he's contributing. Uh, and yet, you know, this, this is why you do this with Pando rather than a handshake agreement amongst mm-hmm. friends. Right. So, um, we we've had we've had fantastic legal help. I, I also early on this is extraordinarily unusual. Before I raised our Series A, um, before we raised our Series A, we hired a chief legal officer. Hmm. That I mean, that's that is wildly unusual. And our and our chief legal officer was this guy Steve Grossman, who worked at O'Melveny and Myers, another global law firm. He was a partner for his last thirty years, uh, thirty seven years there. Uh, you know, I, I think he's been rated one of the top hundred lawyers in the country. Absolutely brilliant, and he mm-hmm. joined the team to further kind of bolster our ability to deliver a product. And you know, I don't think there's too many businesses where legal is is really part of product development, but that absolutely was the case for us. Um, so the first set of innovations, really, you know, truly were Eric's brain, and then yep. legal legal acumen. Yeah, 
So any contract, marriage or whatever, eventually hits a point where someone wants to dissolve the contract. Have you all come to that point yet? Or how are you going to handle the divorce when something happens like this? Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we, we've tried to learn from other contracts, what works, what doesn't. Um, we, we have not, we, we have not yet had a group that is, um, we have not yet had a group a, where someone has been, uh, you know, has misbehaved and has, you know, reneged on their obligation to contribute under certain circumstances. We haven't had that situation, nor have we had the, Hey, you know what? We're over this Mm -hmm. conversation. So, you know, one of the things that we tried to do is, you know, I think of Pando in many ways as being, uh, as providing the foundation to do something that you haven't been able to do in the past. Um, You know, one of the guiding like kind of lights that I've been trying to lead with recently is that I think that, you know, great companies make hard things easy and and there's Mm -hmm. no getting around it. Income pooling was impossible maybe and now is hard and we need to continue to improve on the ability to make this behavior which is new easy um one of the things that we've done is that we've kept a lot of democratic power within the group after the contract goes live so Mm -hmm. for example with a unanimous vote they can dissolve the contract right Mm -hmm. so with a unanimous vote i'll give you another example they could change um Let's talk about five entrepreneurs that pool. Uh, with a unanimous vote, that group of entrepreneurs could take a 10-year contract and make it a 20-year contract because they love it after year 10. Mm-hmm. They could say, hey, we previously had an annual threshold. And now I'm explaining a little bit of how it works on the other side of the house, but an annual threshold of $200,000. The first $200,000 that any of us make, we protect. Anything above that is eligible. They might say, hey, you know what? Five years in, 200 is not the right number. It should be 400. Mm-hmm. They can make that change with a unanimous vote. And, and, you know, things like what are the voting protocols? Like, is it is it a super majority, a unanimous vote, an actual majority? Uh, those are all kind of rules that are set up in front by the members of the pool. Panda will help kind of corral that vote and, and help everyone understand what's going on. But at the end of the day, those are decisions made by the by the members. And they, and they can't, they, they have a lot of power even once they take this thing live. I love that. that. That's fantastic. So you talked about baseball and you'd mentioned other industries. So let's, let's talk about those other industries. Where have you gone since baseball and what other areas do you think are the next places to, to bring this to? Yeah. Well, so first off, you know, I think that one of the things to keep in mind here is that I think there's, you know, income pooling is interesting for people who are looking to take risk off the table. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting for people who are looking looking to put risk on the table. Mm-hmm. And, and then further, here's a here's a weird group. There's a group that thinks about the community that is built, the financial alignment of that community. And I want to talk to you about that, especially graduating from the GSB and like yeah. how our kind of relationships have evolved over the last three years. Like there's a group of people who'd say the community, that 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 partnership with a small group of people, that's actually the product and the feature. That like create that allows them to have that product is the aligned incentives from a Pando income pooling contract. Mm-hmm. So there's three very different groups that can be attracted to Pando, and, and I think down the road I really do believe that there is some version of a pool for for almost everyone. And and you know we've started in places where there is real upside um, for the individuals. That's that's you know helped us as a young company create something I think of value. 
um, and and prove that we can scale with I think some of the may, maybe more challenging individuals and self confident and mm-hmm. individuals alive. Um, and 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 yet, you know, I want to get to a place where this is available for anybody, right? Whether you're an Uber driver and you want a monthly pool with five other Uber drivers, because that gives you a little more comfort and maybe a little more flexibility to, to take the, um, you know, night class that you might not have taken otherwise, or, or you're a group of, of, of six, um, plumbers in Nebraska and, and you're living, you know, kind of job to job and there's some strength in numbers. I, I think there's a lot of interesting kind of application here that, uh, with a productized product, can be very helpful um, mm-hmm. to, to, to a lot of people. Now, I think the obvious starting places are, th- are areas where you do have the most career volatility. Right? I think right. It's the most obvious, intuitive kind of um, set of individuals. So one of the ways that I like to talk about that is any career where you can think of a superstar, whatever that means to you, there's probably some level of volatility. Mm-hmm. So you know, whether it's sports, media, entertainment, those are kind of all obvious places. Um, then, you know, moving into like, let's talk about our, you know, some of our classmates, whether it's graduating from an MBA and you're going into, into finance or you're going into entrepreneurship or you're going into big tech, there's, or you're going into medicine. There's a lot of kind of interesting applications for uh, many of our, of our classmates. And I think a whole bunch of big sectors of the economy. So in these non, uh, so let's say baseball, you know, you mentioned that every on field dollar goes into the pool. Say I pool with five of my MBA classmates where all want to be entrepreneurs. And then five years down the line, my startup just totally craters. And I'm like, I'm going to consulting. Do I stay in the pool or are the, is the, is the contract set up that only if you stay in this industry, do you stay in the pool? We've, we, we've never set up a contract that way. And, and the reason we haven't is I think, you know, more often than not, uh, the way I hope this works is this is a bet on Ben not a bet on Ben's company or Ben's current role. Sure. And, and, and you know, I, I don't know exactly where you're going to go in 10 years. I don't know exactly where I'm going to go in 10 years, yep. but I'm excited about where you're headed and I would love to swap, right? So yep. that's, that's much more of the spirit of the agreement. Now, okay. the, way we, the way we kind of uh, capture that legally is we focus on income and or earnings from your primary trade or business only. Hmm. Okay. So that means no family wealth, no spousal income, no side hustle. Uh, you, you happen to do a small angel investment on the side, it becomes Facebook. Like that, that doesn't count. Yep. Now, you work at McKinsey, that's what we're going to pay attention to. Yep. I work at Pando, that's what we're going to pay attention to. So mm-hmm. um, we, we've tried to structure it in a way that is as simple and as digestible as, as humanly possible and really allows, especially in entrepreneurship, for you know the repeat founder. Like, you know, it, it, it is silly, right? I, you know, while Pando is going great, I have made every mistake known to man, <laughs> and, and, and I'm and I'm at least somewhat confident that if I were to start over right now, I would make fewer of them. I would probably better, be better positioned to build a successful company, yep. and and so it's like, why would we limit it at one shot on goal? Especially if the person is motivated to take the second shot, and and you know what? Maybe this even encourages them to do that, and, and right. so that, that that's where it gets special. And I think that that's you know that then becomes really a positive thing, not only for the individual, but for the pool and for society at large. Um, you know, more people doing what they really want to do. Yeah. Um, 
without maybe some of the extreme fear of financial uh, repercussions. So you mentioned your own pool earlier. Are you are you willing to share any details about it, or what, what's the case study that you've experienced? You know, eating your own dog food to kind of put this out in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah, no. So I, I I'll, I'll I'll spare my poolmates the embarrassment <laughs> of having to know that, that they're outed for having bet on me. But um, I, I pulled a couple of our classmates, mm-hmm. and um, right now there's three of us. We uh, intend to add more. It's kind of another cool kind of dynamic here too, which is typically these pools start at two individuals or three individuals, and they grow from there. Um, and uh, we have built a pool that has, there's myself and one other entrepreneur, and then there's an individual who's in private equity. We have different things going on, right? Mm-hmm. One, one makes more cash than the other two. The two have more capital-oriented upside. Um, and, and I will say that, you know, we, we, one of our pool rules is, is to do an annual trip together. Um, I'm not sure, you know, any, it's not going to be called Davos anytime soon. Um, <laughs> but, but we, you know, we take seriously this idea that, you know, this is an opportunity for the three of us to care. And, 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 and I'm, and I'm going to tell you kind of, kind of a little bit more about, you know, the individuals without giving them away and, and what, one of the things that caused me to pull with them. Um, you know, these are, these are two individuals I really admire. Um, I think they're going to go do extraordinary things. Uh, I don't necessarily think that they are, they're going to be the highest earners in our class. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, more importantly, they inspire me. And, um, you know, I looked at this and, and we're from three different countries and I recognize that as soon as we graduated, those relationships did start to change. And with Mm -hmm. time and distance and circumstance, um, you know, those strong bonds that we had while we were at school milling around, um, you know, on campus, like they're, 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 they're strained by the realities of life. And yep. I realized that a monthly zoom wasn't going to get the job done. And, and if this was, uh, if this was an opportunity for me to stay close to, to listen to, to learn from, take advantage of, um, and, and remain really close with and care about these individuals, that was powerful. Um, I will also add that we have already seen benefits from pooling. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I think the three of us act differently and think about each other and the opportunities for our careers differently than we did previously. Um, I have made introductions and I've had introductions made to me for me that were not made previously. Like mm-hmm. big, big introductions, like really meaningful things for Pando and for my own career. And, um, I, you know, I don't know if that would have been the case otherwise. And I think one of the things that often, you know, happens is, you know, people, it's, this is a new idea and, and people say, well, you know, I already have friends. That's true. That's true. And, and, you know, we are incredibly fortunate to have gone to a, a school with just unbelievable classmates. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember, you know, so vividly sitting in class and being blown away by answer after answer. And, you know, definitely having the imposter syndrome moment of being like, what <laughs> God's name am I doing here? And, you know, and, and we have a network and, and Stanford has given us that. And, and yet this is something different. This is, this is something different. You know, I, I also have mentors. And, and this is something different. It's, it's, a, it's a group of people who are actively working to see me succeed as I am for them. And, and I really don't believe, you know, most of our lives are zero sum. And in, in this 
kind of exchange thus far, uh, I have felt that to be the case. So, so it's been it's been wonderful. And COVID has ruined our our first annual trip. But <laughs> well, you can do it over Zoom, I guess. That's that's yeah, one uh, silver lining. Yeah, just change backgrounds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of COVID, one that's just that's an inspiring vision. It's giving me goosebumps. I'm like, there's just so much potential here, especially in a time of of immense strife in our country. Where this is a way to bring people closer together. And you know, Pando seems more than just financial. It's it's relational. And honestly, that's what that's what drives a lot of the world today. Um, but you mentioned COVID, so I'm curious what what is it like to be an entrepreneur in COVID? You guys just raised a pretty significant Series A. I think it was post COVID. What was that fund? Raising process, like how is the dynamic change in Silicon Valley? Yeah, so uh, the, the 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 truth's going to come out. I, I raised it pre-COVID. Um, okay. I, I raised, I raised, um, I raised it in um, middle of 2019, and so I didn't have to, I I, I didn't have to win any of those battles. Um, and on the other hand, as as you know, press should serve a purpose. It should be more than an ego boost to the team. And one of our theses was when we when we signed uh, our Series A, we said, well, if we announce this now, we're only working with baseball players. Baseball players do not read TechCrunch, and nor do they care about a Series A. <laughs> right. Like this will this will achieve very little. And so, we two of the things we set out to do with our Series A dollars. One was to build a kind of first version of an online. Um, digital marketplace to allow people to come together, search for, find, and build a pool. And mm-hmm. in addition, we wanted to bring this to a group outside of sports. Um, and so we said, you know what, as soon as we have that uh, uh, kind of um, uh, feather in our cap and we can tell a story that actually, you know, readers of TechCrunch can resonate with and potentially, uh, you know, Pando can benefit from, we will announce. And um, we launched in for the NBA kind of students and entrepreneurs in early February, signed our first pools in late February and March hit. And then for a number of reasons over the subsequent three months, it did not feel appropriate to say anything. Mm -hmm. And then then I got to a point where I'm like, okay, 2020 is a absolutely insane year. And I very clearly can't control the news cycle. I'm not sure it's getting better. If we don't say something now, we're going to be announcing a series A in 2030. Right. Um, so, so, so then we, then we announced and some of the responses were exactly what you just highlighted. Um, I, I, I will say that it's, um, we, so while we didn't have the issue of fundraising during COVID, um, certainly there was no playbook. Um, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm a first time founder trying to learn as I go. We had moved into our first office, which was a big deal. Um, in, uh, in, in late 2019, I was, I was proud of that. And, and we, mm-hmm. it was a cool office in, in, in downtown San Francisco. And then in early March, you know, I sent everyone home and, um, we had to figure out how to change from an in-person culture to a, a zoom culture. And, you know, I think that we, like many other companies really try to imbue the work experience with the values of the firm and the company. And we, we, we do feel close. Um, so it's been hard. It's been hard. And, and I, it's been really interesting to see, you know, certain team members struggle um, and others not struggle and enjoy it. Um, the, the, the wants and the needs uh, have been just so disparate. And, you know, it's, it's really not a one size fit all kind of equation. So it took every bit of, you know, every bit of kind of, um, you know, understanding, listening and compassion that I had to try to meet people, you know, where they were, um, 
while also trying to figure out how to continue to grow. And I, and I will say that, you know, COVID is the most uncertain and volatile thing that I've lived through. And, and Pando is, you know, a solution for uncertainty <laughs> and volatility. So we, um, you know, we've grown through this. And, and I think actually one of the really key things, and you actually highlighted it, which is, you know, we also, part of the response to COVID was go be by yourself. Mm-hmm. Go wall yourself off, social distance, um, be alone. That's the solution. That is a very challenging solution for a social species. And yeah. so, you know, Pando also leans into the power of community and the whole thing, I think, was um, right for the time. Mm-hmm. So we've, um, I've been incredibly proud and pleased with the team. Um, we've, we've been able to grow through this and, um, you know, stay, stay strong, I guess, in the face of, you know, changing circumstances. Thankfully, everyone on the team and everyone's family is safe and that's, uh, and healthy. And that is far and away the most, most important, important thing. You mentioned the importance of talent. You know, you mentioned Eric and your general counsel. And, you know, I, I, like you, was not close to Eric until second year. And even then was just touch points. But he truly is one of the most brilliant people I've ever met. I remember talking to him about the uh, the betting he was doing on Predicted in 2016 and just how ridiculously well he was. Just algorithms he was creating. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Um, and, you know, talent is at the core of any successful startup. Um, so switching the, the, the question a little bit. How has the talent recruitment process in COVID changed for you to get the right people in the right places, but having to do so virtually? Yeah. So, you know, first off, I, I, I was a very firm believer of wanting people to be in San Francisco prior to COVID. And mm-hmm. without a doubt, my opinion there has changed. I'm very willing to explore, you know, for the right person, them being anywhere. And, uh, you know, that's been, that's been a radical change. Now, I, I, I do think, I happen to believe that in five years, we'll look back. And while there will be more people who are working remotely, I think there's going to be a very, very robust office culture again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think there's a, I don't think it's a mistake that most companies evolved into that place um, for a whole bunch of reasons, both for kind of innovation and the kind of serendipity of working next to colleagues. But in addition, like the, um, exchange for parents uh, for the opportunity to get out of the house and like, there, there's just a whole bunch of kind of social, um, you know, factors, I think that led us there. We early on were very lucky on hiring in that, I think because we were in sports, and mm-hmm. because we had kind of a cool backstory and we had some of the, um, I think some of the pixie dust of, <laughs> of Silicon Valley, we were able to, to attract amazing talent. And that was one of the really unforeseen benefits of starting in sports. Um, it, it, a huge, a huge boon to attracting talent and also to achieving and winning press. Um, we've, we've always had press come to us, which is, which is unusual for a company of our size. Now, you know, a few years later in COVID, you know, we're actually about to embark on our, I think, our first real kind of um, stepwise change in the team at at Pando. Uh, Eric and I are about to hire four head of roles. Um, I think, you know, it could be equivalent to VP roles. Um, you know, one, one is, one is, uh, in, in legal. Another one is a, a head of operations. There's a head of growth slash, like, I don't know if we want to call it head of growth or head of sales and marketing, either one works. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a head of technology. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's really interesting. I think the, um, marketplace right now is, uh, a wash in talent. 
it, it really is. And, and that's, and that's a shame because it's a, it's a signal of a, uh, of a, you know, a lax economy. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of really, really good people that are looking for something exciting to do. And so, um, for what it's worth, you know, we've, we felt that kind of, you know, hiring and, and, and our pipeline has been robust. It's been diverse. It's, it's, it's exciting. It's an exciting time, I think, to be, um, you know, an, an employer, yeah. Um, and, and, and yet, and yet, you know, it's, it's a, it's a sad reality of where our economy is more broadly, mm-hmm. that there is so much talent, um, that's, that's, that's in the free agent ecosystem right now. Yep. So I want to put you in, uh, in the touchy feely hot seat. You mentioned being the, uh, a first time CEO, and I'm sure the past three years, you've learned a number of lessons. What, what has been your greatest area of growth and opportunity that you've been able to embrace during this time? Yeah. Wow. Um, I think, I think the hardest thing, and I'm, I still struggle with this. Um, the hardest thing for me to learn to do effectively has been to delegate. Hmm. Um, I, um, I have very high standards for myself and for those that work closely to me. I trust fast. Um, but if it doesn't meet, if the work doesn't meet a certain level, I pull back and my instinct is to try to take over. And that can lead to micromanagement that can lead to taking things off of people's plate and not having, giving them the clarity to, uh, achieve what they want to achieve and probably not setting them up for success. Um, but much more importantly, it's incredibly inefficient and it's a very bad leadership trait. Yep. So um, I, I, I've, been, I've, I've struggled with that and I'm, and I'm continuing to struggle with that um, and continuing to try to kind of work on that. I actually spent, spent an hour today with my executive coach literally on this issue. Um, so one of the things I'm actually very excited about with this next round of hiring is, is, a, is a group of people that I, can, that I can really deputize to take a lot off my plate permanently. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and and give them the freedom and the trust to to make a mistake and, and to learn from it. And um, I certainly make enough to make up for the rest of us. So I think that you know, one of the other I think big things it has been, and this is something I got a ton of feedback on in Touchy Feely that I that has <laughs> like roundly changed my life, is the power of vulnerability. Hmm. And so I I have tried I've tried my best, and and I. I have grown in this way to be vulnerable with my teammates, to be vulnerable when I'm struggling, to be vulnerable with things that are, that are bothering me. Um, and, and, and to try to pull that out from other team members in a, you know, safe and respectful environment as well. We've seen, we've seen, um, we've done a lot of vulnerability oriented exercises and team conversations specifically around culture and values of the company that have, uh, that have been quite raw. And, and, mm. and, and here's one that I know, you know, we're, unique in doing we host a once a year week-long retreat in jackson hole and we do talks during during the retreat and every every single member of the company is encouraged to give a talk um and and i'm sure you can imagine where uh you know where those can go and and how we've seen and heard from our amazing classmates and their stories. And I will say actually my biggest regret about my Stanford experience is not having given one. Hmm. Uh, so maybe I'm, maybe I'm forcing it on others and to allow myself the opportunity to do it once a year. But, um, 
Yeah. So I think, I think, you know, it's, it's really around delegation and, and continuing to be a more, more vulnerable uh, and servant leader. That's awesome. And I love, I love the concept that the piece of advice I give to all incoming Stanford students who I advise is put your name in the lottery for talk as soon as possible, get out there and do it. It was an amazing experience. And uh, even the prep period was just, it was so introspective and, and useful to kind of dive into my own life and figure that out. So I was grateful to have that opportunity. Um, so as we get to, to the end of the conversation, which I'm, you know, sad that we're going to end soon, you know, Pando is still young. Um, you're in MBA or I'm sorry, MLB, you're, you're getting into business schools, but like, what does the future hold? You know, you, what are there, there's so many high volatility industries, you know, other sports leagues, you, you talked about media and culture, like where are the, the places you guys are striving to, to, to anchor into right now to, to continue to push this, this idea forward? Yeah. So I, I really do think the places that we are right now and the next kind of subset of places we go, whether that's in sports, media, entertainment, other areas of entrepreneurship or finance, that we'll look back on this segment, these these subgroups of populations as, um, you know, crown jewels, like some of the sexier clients that we have and, and great kind of great groups that we can shine a light on. And in doing so, really share that, you know, um, there are really interesting, smart people that are doing this, mm-hmm. um, that this behavior does not have to be foreign. It does not have to be scary. Um, and yet, I think those, you know, crown jewels will be absolutely drowned out by what I hope will be a massive shift in the way we think about career protection, uh, the dignity of a secure financial future, mm-hmm. and, 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 and frankly, a new type of community. Uh, so, I, so I hope that if we, you know, if, if Pando is successful, and that is a huge if, and we have a long, hard road ahead of us, um, I think it will be because we have created a, a new asset class. And, and, I, and I have a feeling that the, the legal contract will be commoditized away. Um, and, and the reason you'll come to Pando is because we have such a strong network of fascinating individuals that are on our platform that who have pooled with us. Um, and, and, you know, who knows? Maybe there's a chance for, for Ben Coleman to get on there and pool with Mike Trout. <laughs> Mike Trout yeah. might be looking for a McKinsey X fighter pilot, innovator <laughs> extraordinaire. It, you know, it, it's just, I think that's part of the, the, there's a little bit of the kind of Facebook strategy there, which is like the totally. start at Harvard and build um, that, that I think is, uh, will be our secret sauce as well. And, and it yeah. does tie into like what we need to do next very clearly. The next set of innovations, um, they might still come from Eric's brain, but it needs to be in the distribution of this product. It needs to be in my and our ability to better educate. It needs to be in my and our ability to deliver a great customer experience. Um, and in doing so, you know, hopefully deliver um, more security and more fun and more meaning and purpose to our clients. So if I'm listening right now and I want to dive into Pando and build my own you know, pooling group, how do I do so? So A, go to www.pandopooling.com. That's a good starting point. B, send me an email. I, I'm, 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 I'm ready to chat. Um, you know, always, always up for a good pooling chat. I've, I'll, I'll share a little more about my pool and my experience, but my email is charlie at pandopooling.com. 
Well, fantastic. Charlie, I'm, I'm thrilled by what you guys are doing. Can't wait to see where it goes in the future. And I'm inspired uh, for what you're doing, both for individual income security, but also potential societal changes as folks build communities, both around trust and their professions. Thanks for joining us tonight. And for those listening, again, please visit pandopilling.com and find out how you can pool in your own future. Charlie, thanks so much. And thanks for those who listen tonight. Have a great night. Thanks.